the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, I have a trivia question, Bible trivia. What was the third largest city of the Roman Empire during the time of the writing of the book of Acts? What was the third largest city of the Roman Empire during the period of the book of Acts? Uh, Alex, uh, I was shocked that it is Antioch. I really am. And we're going to study about that church today. It was the first church that launched a purposed mission effort. Now, the church at Jerusalem, they'd already been sent out, but that was because of persecution. But in Antioch, God called out two men to change the world, and they did. This is Bert Harper and Alex McFarlane, and this is Exploring the Word on this Thursday. And we're going through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. If you can find a copy of the Word of God and follow along, it would be helpful. If not, listen, and uh, I know it will be a blessing to you. Uh, Alex, uh, Acts 13 launches out. It is a pivotal point in the book of Acts, but it's a pivotal point in the life of the church, isn't it? Well, it really is. And, Bert, I've preached in a number of churches named Antioch, uh, Antioch Baptist, Antioch Methodist. But isn't that something that the first church, as far as we know, that had a concerted, organized mission effort was the church at Antioch? And as you said, third largest city in the Roman Empire— and, and, you know, there were several cities in the Roman Empire with over a million people, history tells us. But, um, you know, I love the country. I do. I love the country. But I think about what God has done in some great urban areas th- throughout the centuries. And God still does care about the big cities, doesn't he? He does. Matter of fact, uh, if you read Acts 1-8 uh, about starting in Jerusalem and then going to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, it starts in a city. And what Paul would do, and we're going to be looking at this, his mission strategy. And, and I think he got the idea from Antioch because here was a large city, and it influenced the area all around it. It was 300 miles north of Jerusalem, so they had, a, they had their own area of importance, and uh, they were from the Mediterranean Sea, but it was on a trade route. And it was a city that was geared to Gentiles and Jews, and the, and the uh, church was made up of that. And this really was the launching place. And I think he got some of his mission strategy from the church at Antioch. And so, Alex, I agree with you. And, uh, again, I, I, I anticipate getting to Chapter 13 when I'm in the book of Acts, if you want to know the truth. Let me start with reading this. Yes. Now, this is 13.1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, now remember, he's the one that came up from Jerusalem, but he stayed there. Simeon, who's, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manon, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tectarch, and Saul, who would later become Paul. Now, listen to verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They were ministering. 
who does God, don't ask you this, Alex, and it'd be an answer I, I want to hear from you. Who, if God wants something done, who does he usually ask? Somebody that's already doing something or somebody that's doing nothing? Well, he usually asks busy people to get busier, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. And here they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. If you want a word from the Holy Spirit, just those who of you that are listening, if you're wanting direction from God, yes, his word, but also get into ministry, serve, work, uh, work with the children, work with the preschool, work uh, with a security team, teach a class, uh, be, be someone that is doing that. And I want to just tell you, most of the time, when you look at the Bible, God calls out people, especially in the New Testament, people that are already involved, and he calls them out to go even further. Well, I, have you ever heard that saying, if you want something done, go get somebody who's busy, yep. you know? Right. But uh, in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are called, and this really would change history. Like you said, the, the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. We say it many times, prayer is important. Fasting and prayer really does accomplish the supernatural, honestly. Folks, if you fast and pray and put specific requests with your prayers, like James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Specific prayers get specific answers. Things happen. And so they were sent forth. Verse 4 says they departed unto Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, it's interesting, Bert. Um, the, this island, Cyprus, was Barnabas's home country, wasn't it? It really was. I, I, I thought yeah. that was—I think he had a heart for it, and he wanted to go that way, Alex. Yeah. You know, they were to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts. Uh, the uttermost parts of the earth, but it, it was interesting. Um, they started out in in really home country for Barnabas, and then they went to Salamis and preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John to it. The King James says to their minister, almost as an assistant. Would you say that's what it says? I, you know, I use the New King James, and it says they also had John as their assistant. And yes. yes, and this, okay, let me just stop right here, and everybody notice this. Notice the strategy. What do they do? They go to the synagogue. What is Paul and Barnabas doing at this time? They're taking someone along with them as a trainee or a mentee. Uh, you know, this is part of their strategy as they go through. They're not only just doing it themselves, they're training someone that will help them in the ministry. So, this strategy is already taking place, Alex. Exactly, exactly. Now, this is—and uh, by the way, strategy. I'm all for trusting the Lord, trusting the Holy Spirit, but very often a plan, a strategy, uh, a to-do list, God blesses that, doesn't he? Strategy it, it, is a good thing. That may be of the Holy Spirit to get that done, which I, I believe it is in this case, Alex. Have you ever used that old saying in ministry that God is in the details? Yeah. He, he really is. And let me just say this to folks about ministry, something practical, and then we're going to resume at verse 6. But um, when, you, when you have a program, whether it's a, a, an outreach program or a Sunday school or Bible teaching or building renovation or anything in ministry, you've got to love the process as much as the end result. Yeah. Now, everybody loves the end result, 
you know, we we won some people to Christ or we achieved something. But the end result, it's not hard to love the end result, but you've got to care about the process and be as much as invested in the planning and the working as you are invested in the end result. Am I right? You are right on, Alex, and that's true in a local church. It's true in a mission strategy. It's also true in a ministry like American Family Radio. Uh, they have, we have our goals. We have our mission statement. And so those are set out, and it's our plan to take them and go and make them fulfilled. Now, verse 6, as you said, we'd get to it. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. The man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Here is Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. He wanted to hear about this God that they were serving. Alex, uh, intelligence and wanting to know truth, they should go together, shouldn't they? Well, they should, uh, but intellect and godliness, not they're not always uh, walking hand in hand, are they? They are not, uh, but desiring truth. And yes. you, you've, I mean, you've built part of your ministry. Uh, I mean, you're an evangelist, but you're an apologist as well. And the whole basis of evangelism, the whole basis of apologetic ministry is truth. Uh, you know, if it's not truth, then I, I just want to tell you, I don't think we're going to get very far. And here, this man wants to know the truth, and he calls for Barnabas and Saul. Do you think they're ready? <laughs> well, Barnabas and Saul are ready, absolutely. But listen to this. The word false prophet in verse 6 is the word pseudo-prophet, you know, P-S-E-U-D-O, and anything pseudonym, a false name. Uh, you know, pseudo means that which is false, and a false prophet is one who teaches in God's name that which isn't true. Now, Bert, if there can be a true prophet somebody who forth tells that which is real and true and authentic. On the flip side, there can be false prophets. And I want to say, folks, there are false prophets to this day. We we could do a whole series on what constitutes false teaching, couldn't we? We could, and they're not always in the pulpits. They're in the classrooms. Uh, they, they're at different places, and they're, te- they're pseudo. They have pseudo answers, false answers, and they, they do not dwell in truth. Uh, you know, th- if they find out truth, many of them twist it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so here they they call this man, and you find this. Here you have two men, one desiring to hold on to his power and the other one desiring to know truth. Verse 8, but Elymas, that's another name for the sorcerer, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He what, Alex, there's no doubt in my mind it's a power struggle for as he's concerned. I don't want to oh, lose yes. my influence. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, first time, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And and this is what he said, O oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeking the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. The proconsul then believed 
when he saw what had been done, been astonished at the teaching. Now, Alex, here we have Paul. You can't help but notice this. What had happened to Paul when he got saved? He was struck blind, and the first miracle that we have him performing is an enemy of Christ striking him blind. Uh, you know, I, I I couldn't help but say, man, this is interesting to have that happening uh, at both people, but for different reasons. Well, hey, did Paul get bold eventually, or was he bold on day one? <laughs> day one. Uh, listen, Paul was ready. He had been trained. Uh, he had been teaching the Word of God. He knew the truth, and he knew the truth would set people free. So we're going to continue on this first missionary journey that Barnabas and Paul goes on, and we're not through with what all he's going to say. He's going to preach his first sermon when we get back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Explore the Word. Bert and Alex with you today. We're glad you're joining us, and we're hoping you're having a good day. Now, we're in Acts chapter 13, and if you remember, if those of you were not there when we first introduced the book of Acts, it is the power of the gospel over all barriers. Now, here's a sorcerer in all of his power trying to get the gospel stopped. Do not, they, he does not want the leader of, of this city to be saved, to get right with God. He don't want him to hear the truth. But God intervenes through Paul and blinds him. And then what happens in verse 12? I already read it one time, but it's worth reading again. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, Alex, again, far as we know, uh, it doesn't show anywhere. This is the first convert on their missionary journey. Of all the journeys Paul would make, three missionary journeys, his tour trip to Rome, and probably he got released from Rome the first time, possibly went to Spain and came back, was arrested, yeah. put in Rome again. This is the first convert that we have recorded of all that Paul had done on these missionary journeys. Well, you know, isn't it going to be interesting in heaven, Bert, when we see the ripple effect and whose witness generated what fruit, and here we are today? And, I mean, look, every one of us that has heard the gospel today and our believers today are really— feeling the ripple effect of the obedience of Christians in the first century. Amen. You're right. It is. And won't it be great? I just thought about that, Alex. In heaven, one of the things, and, and you've made me want to do this now, go and connect the dots like, you know, who I heard the gospel from, who, who, who was involved in me coming to Christ and them coming to Christ, and how far it goes back and who it goes back to. Now, we all know it goes back to Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, paid the price for us. But after that, which one of the apostles, which one of these men? And so here it is that, that the proconsul is saved. Now, verse 13, we have another entry of something changing. Now, when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, Alex, right. we don't know why, but that was a big issue. It would be an issue when they started out for the second missionary journey. This John Mark, we don't know all the, we don't know any reason why he left. Uh, 
but it did not please Paul. We know that. No. And so here he and and Luke purposefully adds this in. I think uh, because I I I really believe that uh, Paul had gotten right with uh, John Mark and Barnabas at the end of his life when Luke was gathering the information from Paul about how God had operated here. And so he wants to tell the rest of the story about John Mark. I, well, I've got a sermon, John Mark. He starts out right, he deviates, but then he's restored and keeps going. Uh, John, we don't know the reason why, but we know he did go back to Jerusalem. Not to Antioch, but to Jerusalem. Now, i got to say this, and, and then I want to get to Acts 13, verse 14, because we're going to see that Paul surely does know his, Brit- his <laughs> Israeli history. He does. But I love the Apostle Paul. But he would have made a real good Baptist preacher, because if you read over there in Acts fifteen thirty-eight, I mean, he knew how to hold a grudge, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, no offense on Baptist preachers, because uh, I've been one too. But you know, over in Acts fifteen, when Paul and Barnabas are making plans, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, but Paul thought it not good to take Mark with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. In other words, had gone back. So let me say, it, it would take a while, but Paul Paul didn't forget something he had disagreed with, did he? And so Paul and Barnabas have a falling out over Paul's, uh, you know, holding out against John Mark for going back to Jerusalem. In case we have people that will not stay with us all the way through this, in Second Timothy, when Paul is writing the very last letter that he wrote, some people call it his last will and testament letter because he talks about his clothes, he talks about his books and what to do with them. But in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. So he says, Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Amen. What? Hey, some reconciliation had done taken place. Praise God for that, Alex. Don't, don't we need to preach more about grace? Man, we do. Listen, and, <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll 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 circle back to that. But they departed from Perga, came to Antioch in P- Pisidia or Pisidia, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and God bless Paul and his boldness, his obedience to go to the synagogues and to the Jews. And after reading of the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Boy, they're going to regret that. Um, <laughs> have you ever been in a meeting, and, and you know maybe they say, Look, does anybody have a testimony? Does anybody have a word from the Lord? And I, I love that. It can be dangerous. Verse 16, Then Paul stood up, praise the Lord, don't you want it said of you, friend, that there was a day when the opportunity presented itself that you stood up Amen. and spoke? And beckoning with his hand, he said, men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. In other words, listen to me. And so he goes on, and for the next, really, about 23, 24 verses, he gives a masterful delineation of the history of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus, and he preaches the gospel and calls them to a decision. And it says that some were persuaded to continue in the grace of God. But it's amazing. 
Somebody opens up the floor. Does anybody have a word of ex- exhortation? <laughs> and Paul stands up. Yeah, the Apostle Paul, uh, he takes that opportunity. He doesn't let it go by, does he? He does not. And it was the custom of that day. If you had in your congregation, in the assembly, uh, some teacher, you know, that they would hear them. So Paul takes advantage of it. He said, yeah, I, I have something to say. Now, notice who he addresses in verse 16. Now, this is really important. Men of Israel, who would that be? That's Jews, definitely, and you who fear God. Now, he's not calling them two different names, the same group. This is two different groups in a synagogue, especially as you get further into the Roman Empire, as you uh, away from Jerusalem, you have those that are called God-fearers. They're Gentiles, but they recognize there's one God, so they've joined themselves with a synagogue in attending, but they haven't become proselytes. They haven't become Jews. Uh, they, they don't go by the dietary laws. They don't go by those things that the, they had laid out, but they're God-fearers. And so Paul recognizes that, and he pinpoints that. And what's going to happen, guess which one of the groups is going to respond best? The God-fearers. They're going to come to him later and say, hey, uh, stay after a little bit. We got some more questions for you. And so, yes, it is that. But notice his strategy, and it's happening. He goes to the synagogue. He shares the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the first sermon we have him recorded of preaching and speaking. And notice it says in verse 37, But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, he's talking about Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Man, that cuts deep. Beware, therefore, lest you have been spoken in the prophets. And he goes ahead and gets to them. Now listen to verse 42, Alex. And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, that's the God-fearers, begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. We want more. We need to hear more. Uh, I, I, this really grabs me that Paul is starting this strategy. Here he is. Uh, I'm preaching the truth. I want you to know the truth. And those who want to know more truth, he's going to set aside time for them, isn't he? Well, he really is. And Paul, you know, he talks about the history of Israel, and he talks about King David. And David, the son of Jesse, and verse 23 says, of this man's seed, or literally of this man's children, God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Amen. Isn't that something? That's him. And verse 29, uh, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the, the cross, laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him up from the dead. Isn't this just it's the power of the gospel. That's verse this, 30. Un, uh, those of you yeah. that have your Bibles, underline verse 30. God raised him from the dead. He got to it, didn't he, Alex? Well, he did. And, you know, he goes in verse 33 and 34 and he uh, from Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55. He shares some scriptures that were prophecies. Um, but this is the same gospel that Billy Graham preached. This is the same gospel that we preach, that the Son of God died on the cross, took the punishment for our sins, he rose from the dead. And um, do you know Bill Federer, the great Bill Federer? Yes. I was with him earlier this week, and he was talking about when he was an accountant, 
and he came to Christ, and he, he loved the gospel because it balanced out on both sides of the equation. An infinite being, Jesus, suffered a finite amount of time, three hours on the cross, to pay for our sins, but we finite beings could be saved from infinite lostness for eternity. I mean, uh, the Holy One gave his life for the unholy. Uh, Our guilt is taken away, put on the righteous one, and his righteousness is given to us, the ones formerly guilty, if we put our faith in Jesus. It's the most fascinating message. It's the most profound message. It's the most timeless message. Paul preached it in the synagogues. We proclaim it today. question is, like the question for the people back then, have you believed it? Have you put your faith in this Jesus who, as verse 30 says, has risen from the dead? Bert, aren't you glad with all the changing culture and times and technology and the state of the world, the gospel never changes, the love of Jesus is constant, and his open arms to receive us, they're in every generation, aren't Amen. they? Amen. Alex, so true. And it's as powerful today as it was then. It has not lost its power. The blood will never lose its power. That blood that Jesus poured on the cross is able to cleanse us from all sin once you put your faith in him. And if there's people who are listening, say, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm not sure I've really done that. There's a number you can call. It's 888-NEED-HIM. Triple eight need him, and there's people there wanting to talk with you and pray with you and help you. And so, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're wondering or not, if you want to hear more the way these God fearer Gentiles said, we, "Would you come back next week? Want to want to hear more? Would you call triple eight need him?" Alex, uh, uh, verse thirty five well, deserves account. The resurrection in the Old Testament is pretty powerful, isn't it? Well, it is, and that's in Psalm 16, very famously, and oh my goodness, one of my favorite psalms, but God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. In other words, Jesus wouldn't decompose in the tomb. He would rise from the dead. Well, you mentioned about, they said, please come back next week. Well, guess what happens in verse 44? The next Sabbath day, Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. <laughs> word got out, didn't it? And they did not have, they did not have Twitter. I don't know how they got word out, Alex. <laughs> well, you know, when when God is at work, it was like the Asbury revival earlier this year. The, you know, the whole wide world knew about it in a matter of days. When God is doing something, well, you just can't deny authenticity. You know, when God moves, it's hard to deny. Word spreads. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Notice the three ways they tried to oppose the message. They, they spoke against it. They tried to contradict it. And then when they, they really couldn't refute the gospel, they blasphemed God. Bert, you and I have lived in the time of theological liberalism. And then there have been people that wanted to really play chess and skeptics. And then finally, atheists and unspeakably immoral people blaspheming God. I was, you know, in some of the recent Pride Month activities, some of the people had on incredibly blasphemous T-shirts and signs and posters. Do you, folks, do you see the, the 
Chuck Colson said this, the downward slide of a Christless culture. There's unbelief, there's envy, there's refutation, there's doubt. Finally, when you can't, you can't refute the empty tomb. So what do people do? All they can do is curse God and blaspheme. May the Spirit of God open blind eyes and draw people to Jesus before it's everlastingly too late. And he did some. The same thing is happening today. Regardless of how strong they are, how loud they yell, whatever they say, the power of God to change lives is as real today as it was then. And then Paul and Barnabas grew what? Weak? No. No. They grew bold. It was yes. necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject Jews and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. This is, again, chapter 13, there's so many turning points. Mark leaving. Here, they turn to the Gentiles. He would become known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and here it was. And he gives verse to it. Here's what Luke says. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Alex, listen. God's plan from the very beginning when God called out Abraham, when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, it was for the world. It wasn't for a select group that known as Jews it was for the world. They were to be missionaries to the world. Alex, the church is to be that today, aren't we? Indeed. I've got to believe when later Paul would write Romans 1.16 to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, maybe some of this that he experienced in his missionary journeys, how many Jews rejected but many Gentiles believed, maybe that informed what he wrote in Romans 1. Stay tuned. We're back with calls. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to take phone calls at number 888-589-8840. A few folks knew what it was without us even telling it, <laughs> but there's some that want to call, and that number is 888-589-8840. And we've got people ready to go. But I did want to say this in verse 48 of, of Acts 13. And uh, when we start Monday, we'll, we'll on this, we'll be back tomorrow with we'll Fire Away Friday. But when we start this, uh, we'll start in 14, but recount this. But verse 48, but when the Gentiles heard this about what had happened and they would turn to the Gentiles, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. What a group of people. This is great. And so Paul has started, and Barnabas has started, and God is doing his work. Uh, if you want to read ahead, read the rest of 13 and then 14, and we'll be ready to start on Monday. But, Alex, Amen. what we're going to do today is go to the phone lines, and we're going to Kansas and talk to Douglas. Welcome, Douglas. Hey, guys. Uh, I listen to every day on the way home from work. Well, thank uh, you, man. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes, sir. Um, it does appear to me that it does have comment in the Bible about uh, putting a mark on your body uh, relating to tattoos. Personally, I don't think, in my opinion, we're under grace, and I don't think it's a problem if a Christian does a tattoo in good taste. What do you think? Well, Douglas, we've had this quite a bit, 
And honestly, I agree with you. I know I've got friends, and uh, they've got a cross tattooed on their shoulder. They've got different place tattoos, and they use it as a witnessing tool. And uh, I agree with you. Uh, Alex, you have anything to say? You, you know, I, I really do think it's a matter of personal choice. I'm just going to say for myself, uh, I don't have a tattoo, never did, never really had a desire to do that. The The key verse that everybody goes to is Leviticus 19.28 that says, don't make a mark on your body. And it, in all honesty, that probably was talking about how the ancient pagan priest would cut themselves, maybe pick up a sharp rock and cut their body to appease false gods. Um, but I will say Christian ethicists, and I was I remember I was out in California at Biola University some years ago, and it was a conference on Christian ethics. And, and a lot of Christian ethics professors would speak probably speak a little negatively of tattoos because they'd say it's almost like uh, graffiti on somebody else's property. Because really, our body does belong to the Lord, doesn't it, Bert? It does. And uh, listen, again, if it's a witnessing tool, I don't know if it's better to hand out the the tracks or use the cross on, on your shoulder or wherever it might be, but do off to the glory of God. And uh, again, a matter of taste, but if you get one, I, I think it should be that as a Christian, get one that would uh, help you, not hinder you. I'd put it that yes. way. Let's go to Cassandra in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Cassandra. Cassandra, it, am I saying your name right? Okay. Yeah, Cassie, whatever. Yep. Um, well, I just love your show. And I love when you're talking about the Paul, the journeys of Paul. I just wanted to share that. My husband and I were so blessed. We just got back from a trip called The Journeys of Paul. And we were on, um, with a small group from our church, we were on um, like a tall ship with the sails, hold like maybe 150 people. And we went, you know, we did like The Journeys of Paul, except he was probably on not such a nice boat, right? <laughs> but we were yeah, at right. this Galatia court. I mean, it was so, it's just so awesome to you know, see the real places. It was it was really fabulous. And a couple of years back, we went to Israel as well with the same kind of the same group. And what I just wanted to you know say to the listeners, if you can go, you know, just go. Right? Never if you can afford it, just go. Right? It just brings everything to life. It's it was so wonderful. So that's really Amen. all I had to say. Amen, Cassandra. Thank. I'm glad you and your husband got to go. What a trip. Let me just say this. In the back of most Bibles are maps. And yeah. if you will look and, and find the one, Paul's journeys, and see the journeys that he made, and I'm looking at mine right now at the back of my Bible. Me and, too. And, and you look at that and you see that. You see him going usually from city to the next city, but he would pinpoint some very important cities. And I can imagine that journey that Cassandra went on what a trip that would be. Cassandra, thank you for that. Alex, uh, you know, that it, would be it, amazing. Bert, it really is amazing. I'm looking at mine. It, you know, when I was a child and I would look at the Bible in the back or all the maps, and I didn't know what that was for. But, you know, in my Bible here, there's one of the journeys of the Exodus, you know, from Egypt, the children of Israel. But then Paul's first and second 
missionary journeys, and then Paul's third and fourth journeys. And, you know, my goodness, where all he went from as far as, you know, Philippi and Tyre and Berea and Corinth and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, it's miraculous, isn't it, Bert? It really was. God doesn't waste anything, so his Roman citizenship gave him that passageway, a passport to go from those places, and sometimes it even paid for his way to Rome. Uh, the church at Antioch didn't have to raise the money. The Roman government sent him to Rome because of his Roman citizenship. So God it was an amazing. So thank you, Cassandra. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Hartwell. Hartwell, thank you for calling. You're so welcome. And uh, my my question is in Luke 19:13, it says "occupy till I come." My question is, what does "occupy" mean? Okay, Alex, you're the word master here. Do you know the Greek oh. word? I I don't have it before me, and I don't remember it. But it, I, I know what it has the idea to to occupy your space, uh, serve the Lord where you are. Uh, stay strong, but what other? Got any further instructions on that? Well, you know, the the word is about a four-syllable word that I, I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it means to literally to concern oneself, involve, be invested. And, you know, occupy till I come, first and primarily for the Christian is to be a part of the Great Commission. And, Bert, you know, obviously this assumes that somebody is a born-again believer. Well, the first step, if, if you say, well, how could I be a part of the Great Commission, be a part of a local church? And, and Bert, I, I believe it, it's transformative when you view the Great Commission with a sense of personal involvement. Everybody. Now, we know Billy Graham, David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, they're part of the Great Commission. But you and I are. And how do I get involved? How, pray tell... Could I begin to get involved in fulfilling, go into all the world? The first step of obedience to occupy is to be a part of a local church. Bert, I've I've probably said it 500 times, probably say it 5,000 more. But every child of God needs to be a part of a church, I believe. Amen. Let me tell you, you need to be a part of that church, and then I would suggest be a part of a small group in that church. Uh, That's what Jesus did. I've said this many times. Yes, he had the 500, but then he had the 70 that he sent out. Then he had the 12 that he spent time with. And even out of that 12, he had three that he spent special time with. And and that is so important that you have that accountability we needed. Jesus was training them. So, Alex, I agree. Hey, in the New King James Version, 1913, exactly what you said. The translation is this, occupy till I come, and New King James says, do business till I come. Do business till I come. Uh, do what I've put you here for. This is a. This is in a, a uh, uh, parable that Jesus gave about the kingdom and the citizens. It says, you're in this world, you do my business. Uh, till I come. I think that's what he's Concern referring to. oneself with it. Exactly. Let's go to Oklahoma and talk to Mark. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. I'm so glad you got me on my on your show again. Um, I've got a question on the burial of Jesus. Um, I had a uh, thought come to me. Was he given like a proper burial after he was taken off the cross and like his blood drained and, you know, like a, a normal funeral, or was he just thrown in that tomb 
they, they were so barbaric and beating him and putting him on that cross. And if, if he was given a proper burial and his blood drained and everything else, that just reinforces the power of God to bring him back to life without all that. Okay, Mark, mm. thank you. Good good question. Now, Alex, he had already spilled, I, and I used the word, I should use the word poured. Spilling is accidental. Pouring is purpose. And right. Jesus purposely went to the cross. Most of the blood had already drained out, Mark, and that was not necessarily a, a thing that they did then, but they just didn't throw him in the tomb. They wrapped him. Mm-hmm. Who was it that took him down? Alex, Nicodemus. it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, wasn't it? it yeah, the two key passages would be John 19 and Mark 16. And it, it wasn't just this barbaric, you know, throw somebody in a hole in the ground. The Jews were very meticulous about burial, but it wouldn't have been an embalming situation like you and I would think about, like the blood being purposely drained out. Now, he had lost a lot of blood, but Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and spices, that's John 19.39, and Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, Mark 16, that they were going to anoint the body, but he was given you know, when you and I were in Acts 5, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. For the Jews, burial took place pretty quickly, didn't it, Bert? It really um, did. They did, Wrapping Alex. in cloths. Yeah. 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 And it, it was it was a hurried, proper Jewish burial. Is that a, right. all right to say it that way? Well said. Well uh, said. It really Bert. was. Uh, okay, let's go to Mary in Virginia. Welcome, Mary. Oh, hello. Yes, thank you for calling today. Oh, thank you for picking up my call. I just talked to you all the other night, and um, I've just been listening to you off and on all day. Uh, since I turned on the radio, I always forget to turn it on earlier sometimes. But um, I, um, I was just getting discouraged, and I, I was asking you know, what it is that God says for us to do to get stronger when he wants us to be strong and to make an impression um, on our, you know, brothers and sisters out there, because I've got to get to my grandchildren because they, they, my granddaughter is, um, he's, she's just, um, real interested in Satan and um, Mm. really not not making me feel very good. And I pray often for her. Well, Mary, Mary, let's do this. I'm going to let Alex answer, but I want people out there pray for your granddaughter. What you want to do, we have prayer warriors that listen to this program, and they add people to their prayer list. Those of you that do pray for Mary's grandchildren, but especially her granddaughter. Alex, she can be strong in prayer life and in her life of strength, can't you? Mm-hmm. You know, young people have interest in spiritual things, and that's good. But it's important that that interest and that curiosity about spiritual things be fed with true truth. <laughs> and the truth is that we need Jesus um, you know, Satan is real, and I, what I would encourage you, just keep growing in the, in the Word, obviously pray, but talk to him and say, you know what, it's, it's entirely natural to be curious. Um, what about our soul? What happens after death? Are there angels? Are there demons? But 
understand, and I would try to insert this into every conversation, that the most important spiritual reality is that we have a relationship with Christ, who, while Satan is real, Satan is a loser. Satan is defeated. Um, And whenever I meet young people that are overly enamored with Satan, I'm like, why would you want to join yourself up with the greatest cosmic loser of all time? Uh, Be a child of the King of Kings and reign victorious. Father, we pray for Mary that she would be strong. Pray for that granddaughter right now. Where is she? Where she may be, Father, and bring other believers into that granddaughter's life that would uh, challenge her on that interest and do exactly what Alex said and say, why would you want to follow a loser? Come to the person that overcame the greatest things in our life, sin and death, and that's Jesus. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Mary. Thank you. Let's go to Charles in Mississippi. Welcome, Charles. Hey, uh, God bless you. Uh, let me turn the radio off here. Uh, just a quick uh, comment question um, on the situation with, with Paul when he's going on his uh, second missionary journey and he uh, didn't want to take you know, John Mark with him for uh, those reasons. But it, it's, God works in mysterious ways, and, and uh, it, I'm just thinking that it, instead of having one missionary group going, if John Mark had gone, uh, the Lord— it, it turned out that there was two groups. Amen. Paul went with Silas, and then Barnabas. I don't, did, my question is, uh, you know, Barnabas went on a, on a different group, so uh, the, the gospel was being brought into two different areas uh, because there was two groups because of, because of the, uh, the misunderstanding there. And so uh, God works all things Amen. together for good. Amen, Charles. Uh, time's running out. You are right on. Uh, and Barnabas say, well, we didn't hear any more about Barnabas. Well, you may not have, but because of John Mark and 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 Second Timothy, and he say, bring Mark with you, Timothy. He's profitable to me. I think Barnabas did a good job of restoring John Mark. Don't you, Alex? Absolutely. Uh, between Barnabas and John Mark's own growth and maturity, uh, he 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 redeemed himself, shall we say. And they, they did work together again, and Paul praised him ultimately. We did. Marty, sorry we couldn't get to you, but tomorrow we're going to get to a lot of calls. It's Fire Away Friday. Alex yes. and I look forward to that every Friday, that we can talk to more people, answer more questions as well as we can. But until then, we want you to tell people about exploring the word and American Family Radio. But more importantly, we want you to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.